This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for September 18th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. The message is by Father Ron Baird. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning's Gospel lesson follows up, if you recall, we've been following the disciples after they've left um, the um, Caesarea Philippi, where Peter had confessed Jesus as the Christ, and we've had uh, the dispute as they argued about who would be uh, greatest among them, and in the things that Jesus has been teaching them about um, who was great and who wasn't, and how many times should you forgive. And now we come to this interesting parable that Jesus is telling them, and, and it needs to be understood in that context. You have to remember that what prompted this whole sort of sermon is that Jesus has encountered the disciples arguing about which one of them is the greatest, who should get to see it, sit closest to the king when he comes into his kingdom. And so he tells them this parable about a landowner who went out early in the morning and sent laborers into the field at about six o'clock in the morning. And about nine o'clock, he found that there were some more uh, guys standing around, so he told them to go on out and, and you know, help the other guys who were out there, and then again at 12 and at 3, and then at, finally at 5, he found there were some more people, and they said, well, we said we got a job. He never did tell us why the guys weren't there earlier when he kept going back. They didn't show up till 5. But, and so uh, here he is. He tells them to go out, and when they come back, he does something interesting. He tells his steward, when you pay these people, pay them uh, according this way, I want you to pay the ones who went out at 5 o'clock first, and then the ones at 3, and then the ones at 12, and then the ones at 9, and then the ones at 6. And so, you know, they came up, and so they were thinking, you know, I don't know how much I'll get out of this. I might get a penny or something. And so um, they go up, and, and he gives them the usual daily wage, a, a silver coin. They were like, wow, <laughs> not bad for an hour's work. You know, I'll do that any day. I have to wonder if he didn't create a real problem that everybody showed up at 5 o'clock the next day. But. And so he does the same with the people at 3, and they're probably thinking, well, maybe he just didn't have anything less than a silver coin, so he gave them the same thing. You know, He didn't have anything that small. And then at 12, and they're beginning to think, well, if they got a silver coin, shouldn't I have gotten two silver coins? And then again at 9, and then at 6, and finally the people at 6 were downright mad. Because everybody got the same pay, whether they worked for 12 hours or they worked for one hour. They said, this is outrageous. You know, here we are. We worked all day long. These guys come out when the sun's starting to go down, and you paid them the same amount you paid us? You know, that's not fair. This should tell us something, by the way. There's a standard kind of theme throughout the Scripture of human beings complaining, that's not fair, and God saying, tough. <laughs> it goes on over and over again from the Old Testament all the way through the New. That's not fair. It's an interesting proposition because we tend to tell God what is fair as though we somehow or other created everything and get to decide. And so Jesus said that the landowner says, look, didn't I pay you what I told you I was going to pay you? I mean, we had an agreement. You were going to work for a usual day's pay, and that's what I gave you. You know, I've not done anything wrong to you. 
And it seems to me you're just mad because I'm being generous to the people who didn't work as much. You know, am I not entitled to do with my own whatever I want to do with it? And then Jesus says, and so the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Now, what do you all think about that? What would you have thought if you were one of the laborers? Would you have been thinking, yeah, I mean, it is his. He has a right to pay him whatever he wants to pay him. Hmm? It's an interesting problem, isn't it? Because on the one hand, we think, well, yeah, but the guy's worked for 12 hours. Why in the world would he pay the other ones the same? It's about labor, too. I mean, different kind of labor than we tend to think of, but, but still it's about labor. It's an interesting concept because today we would have the people who went out at 6 in the morning, they'd probably go hire a lawyer um, and, and sue because they've been mistreated. That would probably be what happened after they called the National Labor Relations Board to complain about the amount they were being paid. Um, well, they didn't have a union, so it wouldn't do any good. They may organize one, but I don't know if you can do that for day laborers. And so, I mean, it was a real problem, I mean, you know, for people then. It's not fair. Now, what the disciples are arguing about is who should be the one in charge next to Jesus? Who should be the person who gets the most from, from having, you know, left everything and followed him? And, and, and they, you know, all think that they should be the ones who should be in charge. You know, not Peter, certainly. And, and you can imagine as it went on down, you know, James and John and Andrew and Simon. I mean, all these people were arguing. I'm sure they all had reasons why they thought they should be the ones who were the smartest. You know, who should be the ones in charge. And they would argue, you know, about that. And that's what Jesus had called them there for. And he said... If you want to be first in the kingdom of God, then you've got to realize something. You have to realize that you are going to be last. You have to assume the position of last. Now, there's an interesting concept, isn't it? That if you want to be first in the kingdom of God, you have to assume that you are the lowest of them all and become the servant of all. Now, in some ways, it shouldn't surprise us, because isn't that exactly what Jesus did? You know, he lowered himself even to death on a cross, became the servant who paid the price for our sin. But somehow or other, it makes more sense in terms of salvation than it does in terms of laboring in the kingdom's vineyard and what we do. And so what happens is that we tend to look at things in the world, even our ministry, even the work that we do for the Lord, in the same kind of way that those laborers did. We want to be important. And when we don't feel important, then we feel left out or neglected or treated unfairly you know, or as though something were amiss. And yet Jesus is saying, the mere fact that we would take that attitude, that we would approach life from that perspective, would tend to indicate that we have no right to be first because we've forgotten the prime principles. 
A human example of this, which has always amazed me, my father-in-law um, worked for many years. He, he um, worked for the Columbus Dispatch when he first got out of college, and then he took a couple of small newspaper jobs, came back to the dispatch because things weren't working out too well. And finally, he ran into a, a, a gentleman whose last name was Bowles. Some of you may know Mr. Bowles. He founded the Ohio Company or with a couple of other people. And, um, and this fellow said, offered his boss a job. He was in selling advertising. And the job he offered him was to, they were buying a newspaper in southeastern Ohio, down in, in uh, Middleport, Ohio, and it was bankrupt. And they wanted somebody to go down and run it and get it to be profitable again. And so his boss didn't really want the job, but he said, I know a young fellow that I think would be really good. And so he sent him over to meet with Mr. Bowles. And Mr. Bowles told him about what they wanted. And so he said, you know, if you go down there, if you can get this thing up and running, you know, we'll, we'll pay you. It's not very much first because obviously it's bankrupt, but, but, you know, if you can get it going, we'll, we'll, you know, it'll be a good career for you. So he decided he was going to take this job. So he goes to Middleport and takes over this bankrupt newspaper and what do you know, after three or four years, he is not only profitable, but he buys the neighboring newspaper, or the company does. And then that works out so well that they bought the newspaper down in Gallup Place. And that worked out so well that they bought the newspaper over in Point Pleasant. And now they've got four different newspapers that, that they own. And, you know, he bought, built a new press. I should say he built an old press because they went to North Carolina and put it in a truck and hauled it back and put it back together again. I mean, he, he built this company up. And all along the way, the investors were very, very pleased because obviously they had put money into a bankrupt company and now it's making money for them. And so they thought this was a pretty good deal. And so, you know, they would come up in yearly reviews and they would say, uh, Dick, we want to give you a nice raise because you've done a great job. And he'd say, well, what do you have in mind? They'd give him a figure and he'd go, well, how much are you giving everybody else that works for me? And they said, well, we can't give everybody that kind of raise. I mean, and he goes, well, I couldn't take that if they don't make that much. And I thought to myself, today, companies would love you. <laughs> Good, turn down a raise, we like you, today. And so they didn't know quite what to do with this guy because he would not take a greater percentage raise than his employees would make. Matter of fact, at one point, um, he had a guy come to him and demand more money, and, and he explained to him, he was the publisher of the papers down there, he said, but, but that's more money than I make. And the guy said, I don't care. You either give me the money or I'm leaving. So he paid him more money than he made. That's putting yourself last, for sure. Now, what do you think ended up happening? Do you think you can do very well in the world doing that? Why? I don't know, from the way he describes it, it didn't work that way, but <laughs> I mean, but, but it's interesting. He did actually end up doing well. What happened was after a while, Mr. Bowles came in and said, look, Dick, <laughs> you've been working for us for 10 years now, and you, you know, you're not taking anything. You know, we put you down there for nothing, and, and you know, you're not taking anything. So I'm not taking more percentage than you give everybody. Then I'd have to explain to them why I got such a big raise, and I'm not because a bookkeeper would know, and then everybody in town would know, and if you've ever been to Middleport, Ohio, it's not very big. And he said, I don't want that kind of reputation. I'm not doing it. So he said, well, how about if we just give you a percentage of the company for, like, retirement? And he goes, well, I guess that would be okay because that way what I make would be tied to it. 
When my father-in-law was 55 years old, he'd been there then oh, probably about oh, 27 years or so. Uh, Gannett Corporation, which is a large um, corporation, multimedia actually, but Gannett ends up buying up multimedia, um, ended up coming along and they, they said, we want to buy these papers. And they bought out the papers and he made enough money off of it to retire at age 55. And he's now at 88, headed towards 89, and he keeps complaining because he said, you know, if I live to 110 or so, I'm going to run out of money. <laughs> and I just kind of go, okay. So it's a perfect example, though, of how the first shall be last and the last shall be first, isn't it? He never sought to profit on his own. He was the guy who usually cleaned out the bathroom because nobody else wanted the job in the business. He was the guy that the little old lady called when her newspaper didn't show up because the newspaper boy didn't go. And so he would have to go out and, you know, leave dinner and go out and bring her a newspaper all the time. He was the guy who, no matter what it was that was being asked of him, always said yes. Now, by all worldly standards, that's a really dumb way to live your life, isn't it? That's called, you're going to get taken advantage of. And yet somehow or other, he lived out the principle of the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And it really all had to do, when I asked him, I said, well, why did you do that? I mean, that's strange. <laughs> I mean, nobody does that. <laughs> you know, why? he said, well, because it wasn't right. And I said, that's it? Because it wasn't, he said, yeah, it wasn't right. I said, so you made all those decisions based on some sort of inner belief in what was right? And he said, yeah, I went down there to do a good job for these people. And so I was going to do a good job. And I hired people telling them that, that if they worked hard, we would all do better. And it wouldn't have been right for me to do better than they were doing better. It was all guided by this inner sense of right. But I would suggest, I don't know that he would say this, it really had to do with, it was all guided by a, a humility and a, and a fundamental sense of servanthood. That the first thing you do is serve. And then you'll get what's appropriate. And then you should be pleased with what you get. I mean, it's an astounding thing. To this day, I laugh at him. He has a fit. You know these uh, charities that send you a quarter in the mail or whatever? 50? <laughs> he doesn't know what to do with the money. Because <laughs> he says, I don't want to buy this stuff. <laughs> you know, I don't want to send out all these stamps. I don't want to do all this stuff. But so he sent me his money. So what do I do with it now? And I said, well, he sent you the money. It's yours. And he goes, oh, that's not my money. I finally talked him into collecting it, put it in a jar. I said, give it to a charity. <laughs> so that's, that's what he does. He gives it to a charity. I mean, it was a real dilemma for him. That's the model that Jesus is trying to teach us, is that in the kingdom of God, if we really want to be first, our real goal should be to ask ourselves, how can we serve God in his kingdom? How can we do the work that he gives us to do? How can we... Um, accomplish that which he gives us to accomplish, not what am I going to get if I do it. Because once we start focusing on what do I get if I do it, 
we will ultimately be dissatisfied and unhappy. Imagine what Jesus would have thought if, you know, if he'd said, I'm going to go be tortured and crucified. What do I get if I do this again? <laughs> oh, you get eternal life. I'm going to raise you from dead. I had eternal life before I got here. <laughs> I mean, what, what kind of deal is that? But he chose to serve the Father instead. And so if we could begin to see the world differently, which is what he's trying to tell his disciples and what he's trying to tell us, what we would begin to see is, first of all, we seek the kingdom of God. And then whatever is coming to us will come to us. God keeps his promises, and it will work. And if it doesn't work out in this lifetime, it'll work out in the next lifetime. But it will work. Because the truth is, is that those who seek to gain their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who would follow me must first pick up his cross and deny himself before he follows me, because the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I don't know if you know this or not, but when we come in, have you noticed that the celebrant is always the last person in? There's a reason for that. Lord, you're smart enough to figure out, I've got to come in last so I can be first at the end. <laughs> I mean, really, they came in last. Because in ancient times, when the emperor, when it was announced that the emperor was coming in, he didn't have a lot of people coming in in front of him. You know, he came in because he was the one everybody was looking to see. Forget about the rest of the people. And so the whole concept of procession is based on the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Paul puts it like this to sum it up. He says, for me, to live is Christ. And what he means by that is, for me, as long as I'm alive in this body, I'm here to serve Christ and to do the work he gives me to do. And that's the whole gain of it. I mean, that, that's the point. And to die is gain. Imagine how different your life would be if you looked at life that way. That if I'm alive, I'm alive because God gave me life and breath, and I am here to do the work that the Lord gave me to do. And for as long as I'm here, that is what I'm going to do. And if I were to die, even as a result of the work I was doing, that would be a benefit. Because I would be even closer to Christ for whom I'm doing all this work. It's like cashing in on my retirement early. You know, I get to go be with the Lord. And so he says, on the one hand, I'd rather... Go be with the Lord, because obviously he's sitting in prison when he's writing it too, so you can sort of imagine why he might write that. And so he says, you know, I would rather go with, be with the Lord, but I remain because it is important for me to advance your faith, to encourage you, to build you up in your faith. That's the work that God had given him to do. Can you say that to live is Christ and to die is gain? You know, that's very different than the sayings we have about life these days, isn't it? Life is a, you fill in your own blank, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the spirit of humility and servanthood that will bring us into being able to see the world the way that it really is, to be able to see the world through God's eyes, to be able to truly become strong 
to overcome the obstacles that come in our way, to overcome the, the difficulties and, 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 and the storms that life may beset us with. Because when we do that, we realize that it doesn't matter. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can prevent me from inheriting the kingdom that he has prepared for me. And so whatever the world may rail or bring against me is okay because my Redeemer lives. So I want to ask you this week to look at your life from those eyes. What would your workplace be like? What would your home be like? What would your relationships with friends, family be like? If you looked at it from that perspective, that I need to be doing these things to serve the Lord. And so in everything that I do, it's all about serving the Lord. And if it doesn't work out right, then, well, the worst I can do is kill me, and if it kill me, I get to be with the Lord. That's wonderful. It's in the midst of that that we truly find peace and contentment and wholeness. Because when we do that, we begin to live out our lives being who it is that God created us to be. And it won't matter what the world brings because you will be the Lord's. And so, at the end of our life, hopefully we could put on our tombstone for this person to live was Christ, but to die was gain. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing on your deathbed to think, hallelujah, I'm going to get my reward. This is good. As opposed to being terrified as to what, if anything, might come next. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.